Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. You've probably heard the common saying that while Rome burned, Nero fiddled. While this is of dubious origin, it is used today as an expression which has a double meaning, according to History.com. And that is, not only did Nero play music while his people suffered, but he was an ineffectual leader in a time of crisis. There is no question that with the turn of events of Afghanistan, the United States of America was fiddling while Afghanistan was being destroyed. Hopefully, we have all been praying for the safety of all the Americans, for our Afghan supporters and allies, and for all those Christians who are stuck in that country or have chosen to stay. But with that focus, there's been little discussion of the real issues in Afghanistan. We're not here today to blame anyone or to go through the whole history of Afghanistan, but we do want to focus on the outcome of what has happened and what we can expect in the future. We've seen the catastrophic situation with Americans being killed, ineffective and poorly timed evacuations, Americans and allies being left behind, and people being killed and women raped with this terrorism that's taking over that country. But in all of this chaos, two major issues have emerged. One is the declining of the United States of America, and the second is the terroristic takeover of the Middle East. We shouldn't be surprised because both of those situations can be understood as we look at and read Bible prophecy. I'm Debbie Blank, taking a short break from our Revelation study to look into this major turn of events in Bible prophecy. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. In church on Sunday, someone requested prayers for the American military who were killed in the airport bombing and for all the people of Afghanistan. And of course, it's critical that we pray for those things. But immediately, my mind flashed to a particularly haunting video I had seen of an Afghani woman with nothing more to lose, crying out in the street, you are not only destroying Afghanistan, you are destroying the entire world. In that moment, she captured the enormity of what is happening, an enormity that many of us still can't quite grasp. The moment when the crucial domino was finally pushed over, and now all the other dominoes are cascading at an alarming speed. If we ever wondered where the U.S. is in Bible prophecy, we may be seeing the eventuality of our fate being played out. And if you ever wondered where the world is on the prophetic timeline of the Bible, the evidence is that we have quickly moved a lot farther down that line. Sometimes we tend to look at the little picture or the one event or the single issue that's happening without looking at the big picture. That's what's been going on in Afghanistan as we've watched the withdrawal of all of our people there and the problems that have taken place during that withdrawal. Now, we're not here to judge the merits or the folly of this war or that of the presidents that have been involved in this war. We're simply going to walk through some of the facts so we can look at where we've been and what this means for the future, specifically dealing with us and Bible prophecy. I think most of us know that this war started after 9-11, as a time when we went after Al-Qaeda, who was involved in the destruction of the Twin Towers at 9-11, as well as the Pentagon. And we thought that by going into Afghanistan, we would cut off the head of the snake. 
Little did we know that that snake had many heads and you could take off one, but then another one would emerge. As a matter of fact, if you just look at Afghan today, you will see that you not only have the Taliban who's running the country, but you have a new ISIS organization that has come up and you have some other terrorist organizations that have been fighting within Afghanistan They've been supporting each other with the ultimate goal that my enemy of my enemy is my friend, and that is to get rid of the United States and NATO and England and other countries. But once they do that, then they'll be left fighting amongst themselves. So they're still going to have turmoil in that land. We still haven't gotten rid of the terrorist Islamic fundamentalists that hate the United States and want to destroy the United States. So really the purpose for us getting into that war never really materialized as far as an end result. It reminds a lot of people of Vietnam, where we spent a lot of time in Vietnam, lost a lot of people, and yet came out with no real result to show from it. We're seeing the same thing in Afghanistan, but it's worse because at least in Vietnam, there was a division between North and South. There is no division now that we're seeing in Afghanistan that would be anything except rebellious Islamic Republic beliefs. Now with the United States gone, we have ISIS, we have Al-Qaeda, we have the Taliban. They don't always get along with each other, but they have managed to get the United States out of there. And so they have that entire land. It's bigger than the state of Texas. There's room for a lot of these to coexist. And also they have this land base now that's kind of like their caliphate. So they have land, which gives you a certain amount of income that you can generate from that land. They have all the equipment and the things that are worth a lot of money that we left behind. So now they're pretty fully equipped to do whatever they they need to do. So all of those things are negatives for us right now. They are. Now, this didn't start out as a negative war. After 9-11, President George W. Bush, he was filled with optimism. He said, quote, democracy would flourish when given the opportunity. And therefore, we went in to get rid of the al-Qaeda to give that country the opportunity to go towards democracy. 20 years later, that never happened. Many of our young people caught that patriotic spirit at that time, and they enlisted to go fight to protect us, to protect our country. So we'd never have a 9-11 again. That clearly hasn't happened. Unfortunately, after 20 years of fighting, this became our Vietnam, a kind of a no-win goal in mind. President Trump began negotiations with the Taliban and with the Afghan president, Ashraf Ghani, with the idea of ending our involvement in Afghanistan. That was a bold move and one that I think most Americans supported. Unfortunately, it's tough to negotiate with two people, especially when at least one of them didn't want to negotiate, and that was the Afghani president. He didn't want to negotiate with the Taliban. I can understand why, because they're a terrorist group that desires to destroy and take over the country. But eventually, President Trump did make an agreement with them, and that agreement included Ghani releasing 5,000 prisoners back to the Taliban. In return, the Taliban wouldn't attack the Afghani forces or anyone from the United States or from NATO. That's a very good result if you can have that happen and have these two groups coexist. But it was not likely to be. They did not follow through on the agreement, so technically that agreement that President Trump made with them was null and void. 
President Biden came in as president. He chose to withdraw or negate all of the things that President Trump had done, whether it's the southern border or climate change or the petroleum pipelines or whatever it was. He changed President Trump's orders. But he didn't change anything dealing with Afghanistan. So if he thought it was a bad deal back then, why wouldn't he have changed it? He says now that he is following through on the bad directive of President Trump, when in fact he could have changed it at any time. Again, it's not a bad decision to get out of there. The question is the process of how we withdrew from that country. Therein lied the problem. For the next year and a half after President Trump made the agreement, we didn't have one person killed in Afghanistan. But coming back now to President Biden and his decisions, he agreed that he would withdraw by August 31st, just as the original agreement had said. The problem was he didn't do what was necessary before he made the withdrawal plans to withdraw us safely, all the Americans, all the supporters of Americans, all the innocent people that needed to get out of that country, as well as all the weaponry that we had left there. He didn't make plans to work with the government or with the Afghani forces to keep that country safe. He just made unilateral plans to withdraw. And when he did, the country just fell like dominoes. In a matter of weeks, the Taliban took over every single area that had been controlled by the Afghanis. And now the country is completely controlled by the Taliban. When you look back at what the current president has said and then what the past president has said about there would have been consequences if the agreement had not been upheld. But when he was out of office, there was nothing he can do. Now with the withdrawal, you decide to go ahead and withdraw, but it wasn't done the right way. It was done backwards. You don't take your military out first. You don't leave the equipment there. You take out the civilians. You take out the support people. You take out those people that need protection from the military. When you finally take the military out, they don't lead the equipment. They get rid of, if they have to destroy things, if they're able to take things with them, they do that, but they don't leave it for the other people to just walk in and take it over. And so now all of our enemies are well equipped by us. That leaves a black eye on America for the way we handled it. It was irresponsible. Nothing in that withdrawal shows any kind of military strategy whatsoever. It's like we were running with our tails between our legs, like we were afraid. Well, we're not afraid. I mean, you look at our soldiers. We have the strongest military that there is. Our soldiers, men and women, stand up for our country, fight for our country in the midst of peril. They're willing to do whatever they can in any situation. But our country withdrew and our enemies saw it. It became to the point that we had to negotiate with the Taliban just to try and get our people out safely. We were the laughing stock of England, Germany, and the other countries with NATO that, with whom we've worked and who had troops over there because their troops were now in trouble. They were rushing to try and get their troops out safely because they did not expect this turn of events. So what does this mean for America? What does it look like for us? Well, when we emerged way back after World War II, President Eisenhower, as president, focused on peaceful relations with all the nations of the earth, wanting also to strengthen our military to be an active peace force around the world. And we pretty much were. Keep in mind that the United States has troops in 150 of 193 of the countries. We're there for freedom, to oppose tyranny, and to help countries stay free. That's all changed. 
when did it change? The first thing I can remember is when President Obama went to Egypt in 2007 and apologized for the United States, for our colonization and our mistreatment of the Muslims and other people. That was the beginning of losing face with other nations. And then when the Russians invaded the Ukraine, we had promised that we would stand with the Ukrainians. They didn't need to build a military because we would always be with them. And we weren't. And then China took over the democratic processes of Hong Kong. And we weren't there. We did nothing. China then has threatened the China Seas and Taiwan taking over Taiwan as one of their national countries. And we have done nothing. Iran has emerged as a nuclear force. We did get into a joint comprehensive plan of action, which gave them everything they wanted and was supposed to have delayed their development of nuclear weapons for 10 years. They right now are at 60% development of what they need to have nuclear weapons. Now, President Trump had withdrawn from that joint comprehensive plan of action and put sanctions on Iran, but the new administration has changed that and has made Iran stronger while making us weaker. We have to be concerned about Israel because the future is all about Israel and the return of Jesus Christ for his people in Israel. If you think about it, the United States is on the verge of bankruptcy. We not only have almost $30 trillion in debt, but we have inflation that has skyrocketed more than it has in the last 50 years. We have possibly a civil war because our country is divided 50% who believe one ideology and 50% who agree to another. So we're just looking at a potential civil war there. We have drugs and human trafficking and uncontrolled borders running rampant on our southern borders that we can't control, or I should say we're not controlling. All this seems so depressing for a country that has been the strongest country in the world ever. And yet we are losing our power. We're losing our credibility. We're losing our strength. We're losing our passion as a country. We're losing our patriotism. That's pretty disheartening. But keep in mind, all of this must happen for Jesus to return. We've talked in Bible prophecy about how the United States would need to be taken out of the way in order for a one world government to be successful, that that the United States as a Christian nation and as a democracy and as capitalistic country as we were thriving, that that just wasn't going to go, that we would have to be knocked out of the way. And now it seems like the beneficiary of all of this is our enemies. China seems to be aligning now with a lot of the other enemies of ours. We talk about Pakistan and the mullahs in Iran. Turkey, Russia, it seems like they're all aligning now with China because they have the power. So our allies that are in trouble now, you mentioned the South China Sea and Taiwan. Taiwan is something that's really important to us because we've pledged to defend them. So what if China decides to attack and what would keep them from doing it? I think if I were them, I would do it right now because we're in a weakened condition. So that just invites aggression. If they take over Taiwan, do we step in? Is that the beginning of a World War III scenario? Or do we just let them be taken over when I guess Taiwan is like a Silicon Valley. There's a lot of chips and things like that that we depend on that are produced in Taiwan, which many of us didn't realize. But that's going to cause a problem. We have, as you said, our credibility with our allies. When on the parliament floor in the UK, they decried what we had done. 
Several of our allies have stated that they will never work with this administration again because they cannot be trusted. We left Afghanistan in the middle of the night and didn't tell the Afghani government or the military. We just got out of there when we first started withdrawal. That's what happened. And so if you were an ally of the United States, would you trust us? You asked about Taiwan. And what are we going to do when China comes into Taiwan? We'll negotiate. Because just in the last couple of weeks, President Biden has said with Iran, well, we're going to negotiate first. Well, that hasn't worked in a long time. I don't think it's going to work now. And if we think we're going to negotiate with China after they have already taken their forces into Taiwan, that's not going to work. I admire negotiations, but there's a time and a season to do that. And after the fact isn't that time, just like after the fact wasn't the time to negotiate with the Taliban for the safe return of our people that we should have gotten out in advance. Now, you mentioned the United States must decrease. Absolutely. There cannot be a one world country in the new one world government. It has to be a division, an equality of powers. How's that going to happen with China and Russia? I don't know. But I think if they get the pressure from the United Nations and all the other countries in the world, they would agree to the idea of a 10-nation coalition of countries underneath the auspices of a group somewhat similar to the United Nations, though not necessarily that. We know from the statue that's mentioned in Daniel chapter 2 that there will be an end-time government that is composed of 10 different units. It's called the toes of the statue. We don't know exactly what that will look like, but we do know that 30 years ago, the United Nations put out a map dividing the world into 10 different entities. They called this the Sustainable Development Program, which they still are pushing today and expect to have in existence by 2030. So it is just natural that countries would have to be weakened. And if the other countries in Europe can't depend on the United States, they're not going to be able to defend themselves as one unit, even as the European Union. They couldn't in World War I or II, and they can't now without the support of the United States. So they'll be more willing to be one of the entities of this 10-unit confederation in the future. The United States has to lose our power. If we're still the world force that's trying to keep peace in the world then there won't be a one-world government, and there must be a one-world government in order for Jesus to return. Let me read to you from Daniel 2, from the end part of the statue. It says, starting in verse 41, And in that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with the clay." And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly in clay, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. Now here's a key in verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. That's God's promise of what we know to be four nations that have already been in existence, and then one final kingdom made up of 10 entities. And when that kingdom is in existence, then Jesus Christ will return and he will destroy them. 
So we're moving in that direction. The United States has to become weaker in order to become one of an entity instead of the most powerful nation on the earth. And you mentioned the one world government that's in Scripture that's predicted in Daniel, but it's also in Revelation. We interrupted our study of Revelation in order to bring this current situation to the attention of our listeners. But we do have in Revelation, we're coming upon that chapter where it's going to be talking more and more about the one world government. So tell us a little bit about what Revelation says about that. Well, I don't want to give too much information. I know, because we're coming up on it, but we'll give them a little teaser. <laughs> okay, well, if you're going to have a one-world government, you have to have a leader of that government because you have to have a leader of any government. We call him the Antichrist. The Scripture doesn't call him that. They call him a lot of things. He's called the Beast, the Man of Lawlessness, the Little Horn, and other titles in Scripture. But we call him the Antichrist because he is against Christ. He's against everything that honors God. We see in chapter 13 of Revelation that we'll be coming up to in a few weeks what this person is like and where he gets his power. And it is not a person that we want running our one world government. So we have a one world government. We have a one world leader. You have to have one world economy or at least somebody who has control of the economy. And right now we have that entity in the World Economic Forum, which is made up of all the wealthiest people and companies in the world. And they have said in their forum in 2020 that the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies from education, look at all the changes in our education right now in America, to social contracts, well, look at how we have chaos and different classes of citizens all of a sudden popping up worldwide, And then working conditions. Well, we have few working conditions, and what we have, they're being dictated to us as to the amount that we can pay our employees and whether or not our employees can work or if they have to be vaccinated. All these things are changing already, and that decision was only made a little over a year ago. They go on to say every country from the U.S. to China must participate, and every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. And that's where we are now in this change of our reset. That's why we're looking at going bankrupt in this country. And that's a drastic word. I don't know that it's around the corner, but it is only a matter of time before we have hyperinflation and end up going bankruptcy so that we can become part of this one world economic forum. And then, of course, you have to have a one world religion. And we'll talk about that as we get to chapter 17 of Revelation, because it's mentioned too. All of these directions are where we are going right now. Well, we've talked about what does this mean for America and what does this mean really for the world? What does it mean for Afghanistan? Well, consider they have already captured and murdered much of their opposition and they will do that more. They have said that they will give equal rights to women within Muslim Sharia law. Well, if you know anything about that, that's extremely strict and takes all rights away from women. They have to develop a government. They're part of the United Nations. They have to have a government to do that. They have to have an economy. They have to have a set of rules or a constitution that may be much like it is in Iran, but they have to have one. They also have to be able to manage their economy. And then you consider all of the weaponry that they inherited from us. They've already got a militia, a well-stocked and a well-equipped militia, but now they have up to $200 million worth of our equipment that makes them one of the most powerful forces in the world. If you read Forbes magazine, they list in detail everything that the United States gave to the Afghani army, which is now in the hands of the Taliban. 
they are radical Islamic terrorists. So we know it's going to be a country just exactly like Iran. I know with this news about Afghanistan that there are a lot of concerns now about the rise of terrorism and the spread of terrorism more than ever in the world because of all the terrorists that are coming out of Afghanistan, people that got on airplanes and were lifted out of Afghanistan without having any possibility of being vetted. So, of course, there were people that we wanted to rescue. But on the other hand, if they weren't vetted, there could be lots of terrorists on there as well. So we have that kind of an influx coming in, could be coming in, and airplanes could be coming in through the southern border because we know they have caught people from all over the world coming in through the southern border. So we have that concern of ours, our own security and the security of those people around the world. We entered this war to end terrorism, and it's been just the opposite. Terrorism has increased. The hatred for America and the West has increased. The desire to destroy us and continue to disrupt our way of life has increased, and it will continue to do so. Because what causes people to submit? It's fear. It's fear of COVID. It's fear of terrorists. We first submitted to the government having complete control over our privacy because of 9-11. We allowed the Patriot Act to be voted in to protect us because we were afraid of the terrorists. That gave the government the power to monitor us. We are afraid of COVID. So we're allowing the government to force us into things that we would not normally do. Doesn't mean if their idea like vaccines are good or bad, it's the forcing of the government upon us through the businesses, through their own resources. People don't like to be afraid. So we will submit to just about anything. In fact, the Bible says the only thing we're to fear is God. It's our fear, our reverence, our respect of the God of this universe who loves us, who will protect us and guide us and give us the peace and wisdom and joy and understanding and everything we need to walk through these problems. He isn't necessarily going to take us out of these problems. He will take us out of the tribulation period, as we've talked about before, when we're raptured. But when it comes to -to day-to-day problems, when it comes to the Afghani war and other terrorists, He's not going to take us out of every problem in this world. He wants to walk us through them so that we can learn to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, not lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. According to Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, God wants us to turn to him in times of trouble. Imagine if we would have done that when COVID started. If we would have repented and we would have asked God for forgiveness for our sins individually as well as corporately, we could have had a complete revival and turnaround in COVID. And even if we hadn't, we would have had a revival that would have drawn us back to the Lord and back to doing what he calls us to do. Most of us know what Second Chronicles 7.14 says, but do we know what Second Chronicles 7.13 says? God's saying, if I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain, I might add in there, or if he causes hurricanes, which we've seen a lot of, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, we have seen swarms of locusts all over Africa and the Middle East like we've never seen before. He goes on to say, or if I send pestilence among my people, hmm, that's COVID. Then he says that famous verse, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways from all those things that he had just talked about in verse 13, if we will turn from them and turn from our personal ways and seek him, he says, then 
I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. God's saying, these things are going to happen to you. And if you will turn to me in repentance, I'm going to heal you and heal your land. But we have to return to God. If we don't, we cannot expect anything to change. Even if we turn to God, that doesn't mean anything is going to change with Jesus returning soon. But we will have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So let's turn to Jesus today in repentance, in forgiveness, in reconciliation with him so that no matter what happens, we can be walking with Christ. He can actually be carrying us through all that's going to happen in this world. What's happening in Afghanistan is just like a ripple effect of what's going to happen in Israel. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.